you're listening to the podcast of The Capital Church. The Capital Church is a local church in Columbus, Ohio, that exists to see more people become more like Jesus in Columbus and The Ohio State University. For more information on our church, please visit us at cptlchurch.com or follow us on social media at cptlchurch. Thanks so much for joining us. You can go ahead and have a seat. Um, as always, I uh, want to say to you that uh, you, you could be in a lot of different places here this morning. It's rainy, it's cold, uh, a lot of things demanding your time, energy, and attention. Uh, you know that. Just want you to know that we know that as well. And so we're, we're really thankful to have you. We're coming up here on the end of January. Uh, so that for us marks the end of a series this morning and the start of a new one in February. But I hope for you, uh, all the hopes and dreams you had for 2024, I hope now as we're coming to a close of month one, um, that the year's going well for you. Uh, every goal you had is just being crushed up to this point. Uh, if not, you've got 11 months to turn that baby around for you and yours uh, and to make it happen. But just infinitely thankful uh, that you're here. Um, this spring, as you're able to be here in the weekends, we're going to be spending the majority of our time uh, in the several different biographies of Jesus that you can find in the Bible. And the reason uh, is because Jesus comes with all kinds of different beliefs. Uh, since he existed over 2,000 years ago, people have believed a bunch of different things about him. Some have had such a passionate belief about who Jesus is and what he's done that they've literally given their lives for it. Some have had more of a casual belief about Jesus. Some believe him to be fully God and fully man. Others believe him to be a moral influencer, a good teacher, a powerful leader. One of the things that remains true about regardless of what you believe about Jesus is he was one of the most influential but also controversial leaders in humans that ever existed. So controversial that he was ultimately killed by crowds of people chanting for his death. He also had people after that that passionately followed him to the ends of their life. So much controversy, so many different opinions about who Jesus is and what he's done. And so what we've been up to for the last three weeks in closing out here is taking a look at this controversial king because we believe that maybe who Jesus is and some things we have about him in the biographies of Jesus in your Bible could actually add tons of value into your life today, regardless of what you believe about Jesus as you walk in here. And so we've been spending some time, and we're going to spend some more time as the spring semester continues to roll on. Now, there are four biographies of Jesus in your Bible. They're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Fortunately for us, they're all right next to each other, and so that part of your Bible might become really familiar as you're able to be here on the weekends. Where I ultimately want to bring you is to the biography of Jesus called Luke this morning. So if you have a Bible, uh, this is a great time to grab it if you're interested in following along. If you don't have one or are not that interested, that is okay. Uh, specifically, we're going to be in the 19th chapter of Luke, and again, this is a great time to grab a Bible uh, to get that out. While there's a lot in the biographies of Jesus, a lot of crossover that's very similar, there's some nuanced purpose to what these authors are after. The guy who wrote this particular book, his name is Luke, who was a practicing medical doctor, highly skilled, highly intelligent, highly trained. He actually steps away from his medical practice 
to interview people who did life with Jesus and around Jesus so that he could get a historical account of who Jesus was and what he did for humanity. Once he became a follower of Jesus, he makes this wild sacrifice to leave career in the medical field to get more people access to this man's story. And we benefit from this 2,000 years later. A short biography of Jesus, and I want to bring us into the 19th chapter of that because Luke writes down what I think is maybe the most powerful and important statement Jesus ever gives. And I think regardless of who you are and, and how you walk in here this morning, I think this statement could be life-changing, and I'm not overstating that. So I want to bring you to this moment if you're interested in joining me. Now, a couple years ago, uh, I have uh, a young son, and a couple years ago, I think he was like one or two, my sister-in-law gifted him a stuffed bunny, um, and, and somewhere along the line, this is that bunny, somewhere along the line, he picked up the name Bubba. Um, I don't know if Brooks gave him that name, I, I don't know if we gave him that name, but Bubba quickly became the most important possession in our home. Um, everywhere Brooks went, from nighttime to nap time, to when he's just like hanging around the house, this thing was that important. He would not trade you the entire world for Bubba. This is the most important thing that he owns. Uh, but years ago, uh, we went on vacation, and we had the foresight as parents that this became so important in our home, uh, we got a backup Bubba. Um, this is backup Bubba, uh, and if you can believe this, these were the same bunny <laughs> at one point. So backup Bubba uh, immediately just sat in the corner, it's not loved on, uh, sits by itself in a basket of other stuffed animals, uh, because true Bubba, number one, became like the thing of value, and he cared at all about fluffy, cozy, smells good, cuddly Bubba, he didn't want that one, always wanted ratty, falling apart, broken, a uh, little gross Bubba, every time he's choosing that one, and we quickly lost track of the uses of them. Our, our intention was that he could use both Bubba's. They wouldn't separate in appearance so much so that he would only love one of them and disregard the other one, but it quickly got away from us. Uh, this past summer, we went on vacation with some friends that have kids uh, really similar to our kids' age, uh, and that, that's a really good thing for vacation because it means that all the kids nap at the same time. And so we put all the kids down for a nap, and Brooks gets into his bed uh, and he's looking around for Bubba, and he's like, where, where's Bubba? And, and I'm like, I don't know, I thought he was in your bed. What did you do with Bubba? And he's like, I don't know, I don't know where Bubba is. So he starts to panic a little bit, but I say, hey, it's just around the house somewhere. Uh, let me go look for him. So he stays in bed. I walk around the house. I uh, can't find Bubba. So I go back into his room, and it's like, hey, you're just going to have to find some rest without Bubba and lay down. And I can see that he's put a brave face on. Uh, but he's starting to get emotional, like, where's Bubba? I need him. And so I run up into our room, and I grab backup Bubba, which we had with us, and I, I bring him down. I'm like, oh, here he is. And he just looks at me, and he's like, where's Bubba? <laughs> and I'm like, here he is. And he's like, no, I want, I want Bubba. And so uh, I go looking again. I don't find him. I walk back into the room, and I'm like, I don't know how to tell you this, buddy. Uh, we can't find Bubba, and so you're just going to have to take a nap without him. And then eight adults turn that house over uh, to try and find Bubba, and we ultimately do find Bubba, which is a great thing. This is that Bubba. Um, here's what I ultimately want to say, though. Against all logic, 
Brooks always chooses ratty, gross, doesn't smell great, coming apart Bubba instead of this like brand new one that is actually designed to be comfortable, cozy, and fluffy for a child. I want to bring us to a story in Luke 19 that's going to talk about Jesus and a man, and against all logic, Jesus is going to say some things about what he values that not only shocks the crowd, may even shock you too. Jesus actually values a kind of person that may blow your mind. It was wildly controversial at the time. And so Luke 19 is the best place for you to go. Let me start reading right in the beginning of that chapter. Here's what it says. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So uh, up to this point in Jesus's life, uh, he's really known around the world. And so every city he goes into, which Jesus, just with a small group of people, is going city after city after city. He's healing some people. He's doing some teaching that people are drawn to. He quickly gathers crowds. And so every new city he goes into, there's enormous crowds of people there to wait for him. And every move he makes, they follow him around. But in these crowds is mixed up all kinds of different people who believe all kinds of different things. You had some in this crowd that have watched Jesus do some healings. They've watched Jesus do some miraculous things. And so they bring the sick, the paralyzed, the demon oppressed. They bring them to Jesus, urgently hoping for him to like touch somebody or to say something that's going to bring healing there. And you can imagine the urgency if they believe that touching Jesus or hearing Jesus could heal a lifetime of, of, of pain, illness, brokenness. Luke, in a different part of this biography, speaks of these moments. And one of the things he says is there are thousands of people at times who aren't content just to hear of Jesus and to see Jesus. Thousands of, thousands of people who are trying to literally grab a hold of him. You can imagine the chaos. So you've got this crowd of people mixed in. You have another crowd of people who believe Jesus' main purpose is to become king, which would make his immediate purpose to overthrow militarily the Roman government. And so they're saying, man, sign me up for King Jesus, because what I'm starting to learn about Jesus is he loves people, he serves people, he gives to people, he adds value into people's lives, and their experience with Rome at this time is oppression in suffering, not life in vitality. And so they want to forward Jesus as king. You have another group of people who were religious and had some religious beliefs that Jesus is flipping upside down, and so they hated Jesus. So you've got all these beliefs, all these backgrounds, all these different stories, all mixed up in these huge crowds that show up to see Jesus, hear from Jesus, and ultimately watch him do what he's going to do. Now, side note, I, I always thought this was interesting. I heard somebody say, I, I don't remember who said it or where I came across it, but it's always stuck with me that Jesus changed the world walking three miles an hour. That's what somebody said to me once, and I loved it. It's like no podcasts, uh, no books he's written. He's never been on TV, and when he travels, he walks the average male speed of three miles an hour. In every city he went into, they know of Jesus. And so they're showing up by the thousands to see him, to hear from him, to listen to him teach, to maybe get in his environment for their lives 
to be changed and mixed up in this crowd, we get this biography where there's a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, as he shows up to this crowd, he feels like he can't weasel his way towards the front to see Jesus. He's also apparently not tall enough to see over the crowd. And so what he decides is the strategy is to get ahead of the crowd. He thinks he knows where Jesus is going. So he gets ahead of the crowd, climbs up into a tree just to be able to see Jesus as he walks by. This is our scene and this is our setting. And this crowd is Zacchaeus. He's not a follower of Jesus, doesn't claim to believe him. Doesn't claim to follow him or subscribe to his teachings, but he's curious enough either of the crowd or of Jesus to get in this environment to at least get his eyes on him. Verse 4. So Zacchaeus ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Now imagine this moment for Zacchaeus. He doesn't even subscribe to following Jesus. He's up in a tree because the crowd's too great and the crowd's too rowdy. Imagine this moment for him. He's up into a tree just because he wants to get eyes on Jesus, and Jesus' attention now turns to Zacchaeus. And to his surprise, he not only sees him up in the tree, but he calls him by name. Imagine this moment for him. It's like, man, maybe the most famous, powerful, influential leader in the world right now sees me. But not only that, he knows my name. He knows enough about my story to even invite himself over to my house. He has to know at least a little bit about me to know I have a house, to know it's within walking distance. And so he gets Zacchaeus down from the tree, and they walk off into Zacchaeus's house. Verse 6. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. This, this crowd is not having it. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. So Zacchaeus, he gets down from the tree, he takes Jesus to his house, and as the crowd is watching this, they're, they're incredibly upset because what they think they know about Jesus is somebody like Jesus shouldn't be putting their attention on somebody like Zacchaeus. I mean, like, look at this crowd, there's a lot of us here. How come Zacchaeus gets the attention of Jesus? How come Zacchaeus is invited into intimacy and relationship with Jesus? That doesn't seem to be fair. I can imagine myself thinking like, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe we don't know about Zacchaeus. Like, like, what's actually going in there? What about Zacchaeus is drawing the attention of Jesus? Zacchaeus is introduced right in the beginning of this story as a chief tax collector. And with that title comes a reputation that would make you hated in every single group. In this particular time period, Rome was the world powerhouse. And Roman soldiers would go into cities, they would ransack cities, take everything from people, kill men, women, and children to expand the Roman Empire. And they would do this uh, in a brutal ways. They would crucify people, sometimes on roads into cities, on roads out of cities, to communicate to the world. You want to rebel? You want to try and stop us? You want to get into the way? This is the cost of that. We'll just crucify you publicly. 
All of this costs money. Zacchaeus' role in this Roman expansion is to take money off the backs of hard-working families to fund this kind of operation. What's interesting is the Roman Empire would send people like Zacchaeus, who was more of an insider, into new cities that a lot of times they weren't even from. And that whole city doesn't like Rome because they have family members who were robbed. They have family members who were killed in this Roman expansion. And so then they put an insider there that's not welcome in that city. And on top of that, that insider is there to take their money to further the mission. Rome actually is credited often with inventing crucifixion, but it was actually invented by the Persians. The Romans just actually advanced the technology a little bit. They added the cross beam to crucifixion for two main reasons. They wanted to extend the time somebody could survive on the cross while increasing the pain they would experience. There was a word that was invented to describe somebody's experience on the cross, and it's the word excruciating, which literally means from the cross. There's a story where Rome overtook a new place and they crucified 6,000 men on a famous Roman highway that was 120 miles long, which is every 35 yards they have a new man crucified there to communicate, you want to get in the way, you want to rebel, this is what it looks like. And so Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He doesn't have any good relationship in that city. They hate him. Because he's taking their money to fund oppression and suffering and death. And at the same time, Zacchaeus is not only gathering money for that mission, at the same time, he's taking more than he even needs to to pad his own personal wealth. And so Zacchaeus shows up into this crowd, and now he gets the attention of Jesus. You can understand the rest of the crowd is like, wait a second, Zacchaeus get your attention? Wait a second, you want to allow him to get down from this tree and have a conversation? I think my first thought would be, maybe Jesus is going to publicly side with us. Like maybe Jesus is getting Zacchaeus down out of the tree to make a moral example of him. To yell at him, to command him to stop doing these things. And yet he invites him into relationship and they leave and go into Zacchaeus's house. And this is what's going on in that house. Verse 8. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be the true son of Abraham. And here's maybe the most powerful sentence Jesus ever says. Verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. Jesus says, I have come to find and save people who are far from God. This crowd here in this moment is saying, Jesus and Zacchaeus, how does that make sense? Like it's jarring to them and it's jarring to Zacchaeus that Jesus actually sees him, knows his name, knows his story, and still is moved to relationship with him. And yet he drops this powerful line to say, I have come to find 
and save people who don't measure up, sinful people, people who are far from God. This is his purpose, and this lifestyle is wildly controversial. Leave all these other people behind. Leave all these other people behind to pursue somebody like Zacchaeus. It it goes against all logic for this crowd. It even goes against all logic for Zacchaeus. This doesn't make sense. Jesus and Zacchaeus? No, no, no. This is the one that's hurting people. No, no, no. This is the one who doesn't just think they're a sinner, but everybody else thinks there's a sinner too. Like, this comes with reputation. In a crowd of maybe thousands, how is his attention on Zacchaeus? It doesn't make sense. They're, they're hurt. And yet, I feel like as we read the biography of Jesus, and even as these people get the reputation of Jesus, this shouldn't surprise us because this was always the lifestyle of Jesus. Moving towards sinful people. His attention was always on sinful people. The intimate relationship he's inviting people to, they're always sinful people being invited into that. This is always his lifestyle because that's the only type of person he could enter into relationship with on earth. Like he can only move towards sinful people because that's the only existing person on earth. Like I understand you're kind and you do really good things and you might even have a reputation of loving and serving people, and maybe compared to all kinds of people around you, you're a good person, and yet the controversial message of Jesus is he's come for sinners, and he applies that to you. Like he's come to find them, and to save them. And so for his lifestyle, for his attention, his eyes, his pursuit to be on people really far from God is all kinds of controversial, and it gets even worse because Jesus gives an explanation as to why. Like, why is his attention on people like Zacchaeus? He says that he's come to find and save people who are far from God, the worst kind of people, the people most unlike him. And here's why this is controversial but amazingly positive news. The message of Christianity and of Jesus at its core has always been and consistently will be that you and I and everybody else is by default foundationally sinful. Like that's controversial, but it's always backed up by something better. Like, like, it's followed by a statement that doesn't just make that controversial, it actually sets it up to be good news, because here's the good news that always follows. Jesus has come for that kind of person. Like, it's, it, it's not like you have to work hard relationally to close the gap. What he's saying is he has come to find, to close that gap relationally, to draw close to these kinds of people. And so I get we live in a world, and this has been true for thousands of years, where to say you might be kind, you might be great, people might love you for who you are and what you do. Here's the controversial message of Jesus. This whole crowd, and including Zacchaeus, sinful. But, but that's okay, lost, and that's okay. Because he's come to find that person. And then much more, he's come to save them. This is what he's after. Wildly controversial. And here's what what I ultimately want to say 
to you this morning. I, I honestly believe that whoever you are and however you walked in this room, you can find yourself in Zacchaeus in this short time frame of his life. Like follower of Jesus or not, I think you're Zacchaeus and I think I'm Zacchaeus. And maybe for you, uh, I think it's possible to come into this room and you're like stage one Zacchaeus. Like a tax collector who lives in Jericho, doing his work, climbing the ladder. Jesus isn't on your radar, you're just living life. Don't claim to believe in him, don't claim to follow him or subscribe to his teachings. Work's important, relationships are important, routine is important. Jesus just isn't on the radar. You're living life and maybe even things are going well for you and so you don't feel like you need somebody outside of Jesus. I think it's possible to be stage one Zacchaeus sitting in here. I think it's possible that you're stage two Zacchaeus. Like willing to join the crowd, willing to hop up into a tree, interested enough to get your eyes on Jesus, but you kind of want to stay at a distance, a little bit uncommitted still. Just trying to investigate, just trying to figure this thing out. Like, like maybe there's, some, there's got to be something about Jesus that's drawing these types of crowds. There's got to be something about who he is and what he's up to, that people at all kinds of different backgrounds and belief systems are like drawn into this guy, Jesus. This is his story. And so maybe interested enough to show up into a room like this, but, but kind of uncommitted. Like, I'm not exactly sure. I've not come to some conclusions, but I'm willing to investigate him. I'm at least willing to show up into a room like this and see what some people have to say about this guy. See what some people have to say about God or what the Bible says. And to both of these groups, here, here's what I want to say to you. Only good news. The thing that Jesus does here that shocks Zacchaeus and stuns the crowd is the same thing he's doing today. To Zacchaeus's stunning emotion, Jesus sees him. Jesus knows his name, knows his story, and still moves towards him because that's who he came for. Like he was the mission. He's the valuable one against all logic. Jesus looks at him, knows his name, knows his story, and still moves towards him and then follows it up with, yeah, I'm moving towards you because I came to find you and save you. Like, I want to bring you into life. I want to bring you into something better. Here's why that's great news, because Jesus is still up to that in our world today. Like stage one and stage two Zacchaeus, maybe coming in here with a reputation, maybe coming here with all kinds of labels. You wouldn't want to get public stories we could maybe tell about you. Stories other people could tell about you. Maybe you come in here with guilt and shame and you're interested or Jesus isn't even on the radar. Here's what I want to say. Even in those moments, Jesus sees you. He knows your name. He knows your story, the good stories you can share, the good pictures you can post on social media and the bad, all the good, all the bad, and still moves towards you. Because you're who he came for. This is what he's always been up to. Controversially, not cozying up to people who are impressed with themselves, 
but foundationally, the people who loved Jesus the most and who put themselves at his feet and who gave their lives to the mission of Jesus were the ones who were most convinced they were lost, most convinced they were broken, most convinced they were furthest from God. This is the mission of Jesus. He's come to close the gap. And so for you, I just want to say, you don't even have to clean yourself up. You don't even have to get free from addiction. You don't have to promise God a future version of yourself that's more impressive than you walk in today. Zacchaeus, with reputation and messiness and a foundation of hurting people, gets up into a tree and Jesus invites him into relationship. Jesus closes that gap and invites him into relationship. The same's for you. It's like, hey, get down from the tree. I know you. I know your story. Let him take your hand and walk you into life. Maybe you're stage one. Maybe you're stage two. The invitation Jesus gives Zacchaeus is the same invitation in front of you. I also think it's possible for you to walk in here as stage three Zacchaeus. Like you, you've had that relationship with Jesus that he's created. You have a level of intimacy with Jesus and you're starting to spend some time with Jesus and things start changing. You can imagine as Zacchaeus leaves his house with Jesus someday and his priorities are different. What he finds joy in is different. What he's now doing with his money is different. Who he is is different. How he sees the world, how he treats people, all of this is different. And it's a result of being with Jesus, of spending time with Jesus. And so if you're stage three, like you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, then, then here's what I have for you, only good news. Spending time with this man will change you in all the right ways. Spending time with this man will change you in a way that's going to add so much value to your life and in the lives of everybody around you. Spending time with Jesus is everything you need to move in positive directions. Time in spaces like this time reading your Bible, time talking to God, time in community, spending time with Jesus will change you in all the right ways. And so if there's things in your life where you're like, man, I don't know if I'm finding the kind of joy in life that, that I wish I had. Man, I don't like continuing to do these things. I wish I was different. I wish I was healthier. I wish my relationships were healthier. I could just name for you all of these things I want to change in my life. Then I'm saying, spend time with Jesus prioritize Jesus because that is going to be the foundation of change, not your willpower. Like, please, we have lived long enough to know that our willpower just simply lets us down. It's there some days, it's not there others. If the change in your life is only going to come from your motivation and your white-knuckle willpower, you're just going to live disappointed and lower in health than you could be. So I'm saying spend time with Jesus. That naturally changes everybody in positive directions. There are a lot of lists that you wouldn't want to be on. There are a lot of labels that you wouldn't want to characterize you at this season of your life or any other season of your life. But lost, sinful, and broken should not be a list we're ashamed of because Jesus has come to close that gap 
and invite that person into something better. Invite that person into intimacy and relationship. Lost, sinful, broken. It's like, yup, that's me. I'm unashamed of that because this is why Jesus came. Urgently to find us and to save us like brooks against all logic and reason. Given this choice, he picks Ratty Bubba 10 out of 10 times. In fact, this morning, uh, I had fluffy, cozy, in great shape Bubba. Not an issue. I left before Brooks was really out of bed, and I just went in there, grabbed him. Brooks has no idea where fluffy Bubba is. But I had to wait until Shaylin and the kids showed up to get the other Bubba because he was clenched in the arms of sleeping Brooks. And so I needed that to lighten up before I had permission to even bring him on stage. Against all logic and reason, Brooks would not trade the world for broken, really used, really ratty and gross Bubba in against all logic and reason. Jesus would not trade the world for you, sinful, broken, messy, used. It doesn't make sense. And yet this has always been the clarity of his message. He's come to close that gap for you and invite you into relationship. It's okay to be messy. It's okay to have some things in your past you don't love and you still feel broken over. Jesus has come for you. Just be on that list. Be on the sinful list. Be on the broken list. That's the foundation for being invited into relationship. This is what I want for you. He wouldn't trade the world for you. In fact, he leaves a throne room that is so filled with his individual worship. Treated as a king, dressed as a king. He literally leaves that throne room because he wanted to find you. And he wanted to save you. He wanted to not just be a famous person who can be categorized as changing the world. He wanted to be a close friend that has literally changed you as an individual because he knows your name. He doesn't just love humanity. He loves you. And he's come to find you and draw you into something better. And time with him over time will change you in all the right ways. Pray with me. Father, would you give us, man, just only by the power of your spirit, would you give us an ability to feel comfortable being labeled as broken, to feel comfortable being labeled as sinful. Sure, maybe not as much as somebody else. Sure, we're working hard to be kind and we're working hard to love and serve others, but would you make us comfortable even with the labels of lost, sinful, broken, and messy just so that we can put ourselves in a place where we can be moved by your statement that you love us, you know our name, you see us, you know our story, and yet you still move towards us even with those labels. God, you know the effort that's put forward by so many in the room to relationally close that gap. Would you give those of us in the room who wake up and try to earn relationship with you, would you give us rest? Would you give us comfort to know that you're the one who came to seek 
You're the one who came to find. And would a morning like this morning, would a room like this room be a really similar moment for some of us in the room that Zacchaeus had? From reputation and labels and brokenness to your child, invited into intimate relationship, walking out of this room completely changed for eternity, inheriting every good thing that comes with you. Would that happen in this room? And for those of us that would claim relationship already, would this year be marked by us, maybe stumbling our way, imperfectly walking our way into time and space with you so that we can change? Allow us to not be driven by effort, but to be driven by love and relationship, to just spend time with you joyfully and allow you to change us by your spirit. We're infinitely thankful that we could be ratty and gross and messy and still 100% of the time get your attention, your love, and your intimacy. Would we find peace and rest in that this morning? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.